Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Shot out. All right, man. How are you? It's good to see you. It is finally good to see you and to honestly be on the spirit of time. Dude, that's fantastic. This has been a long time coming. For listeners, you will uh, kind of realize now that that is not my usual compadre, Greg's voice. I am joined. I'm flying solo, kind of doing the solo mission today with uh, Cody Fight of Anti-Watch Watch Club. We had Zach on several months ago. And have been trying to get Cody on. Actually, I say trying to get Cody on like we've been we've been chasing each other, basically schedules and vacations and all that stuff. But it's it's fantastic to finally be able to uh, to get it together. We're here kind of in an early evening on a Thursday, and uh, you're solo, I'm solo, but we have some drinks. I'm gonna pause for the sound effect. Oh yeah, and get this thing poured. It's, I don't know if this will pick it up. Let's see. Now, I think that might be too quiet, but I am pouring I so. the uh, the Polaner Hefeweizen. We got to let that head dissipate. But anyhow, man, it is very good to see you. We usually do a, uh, a little bit of small talk, me and Greg. So why don't I just fold you right into that? Where are, you know, Persec and all that stuff, uh, you know, in factored in kind of roughly, where are you? What part of the country? And what's the weather like there? We have to talk uh, about it. Yeah. So I am right outside the uh, amazing city of Savannah, Georgia. Uh, okay. Came out here in 2019. Yeah. Um, weather is finally cooling off after a a very mild temperature summer. Uh, last summer was blazing hot as y'all were out there in California. Uh, this summer was very wet and rainy, um, but now it's cooling off. I think we were in the 70s today, I think, with rain, of course. Um, so, yeah, it, we love it out here. Um, weather's perfect. I can't complain. Oh, that's fantastic. We had a beautiful day here in Southern California. And like you, this this summer, especially compared to last year, uh, was, I don't know, we'll have to see the data next year, but this is probably the coolest hot time of year. So in Southern California, basically mid-August through early October is the hottest period. This is probably the coolest, like hot half of summer that I've had in maybe in my lifetime. We had rain. Yeah, I think last June, we were, beginning of June, we were already in triple digits um, throughout that whole month. And we we finally hit triple digits in late July, mm-hmm. beginning of August, I want to say. And then it kind of immediately cooled back down. 
How much, just out of curiosity, so I mean, I've been to Atlanta and I've been through, you know, the state of Georgia a couple of times, basically south to north, um, you know, on long road trips and stuff, but I've never been to Savannah. Um, how much kind of ocean influence do you get in terms of like, you know, breeze and, and stuff like that? Or is it is it really swampy? Uh, so all around us is marsh and swampland, but we have all of the all of the channels that run through, um, create the Savannah river, all these inlets that bring in a, an ocean breeze, which is really nice. And of course, Savannah being, um, I mean, it's hard to beat a city that allows you to walk around with open containers, enjoy yourself, uh, and just drink and have fun. Plus the amazing food that Savannah is known for. So that's one of the reasons, like right hand up, that I absolutely want to go to Savannah at some point. You know, I've I've done New Orleans several times. The food's amazing. You know, it's got a, a deserved reputation. But what I've heard is basically Savannah is just kind of the other side of the New Orleans coin. And, you know, uh, it, it's like different but same. And I would love to check that out. Savannah and Charleston are two places that I've never been that I really want to go in the South. Yeah, Charleston is literally, um, I think it's about only an hour away from us. Uh, it's across the, uh, across the river and the bridge, and then you're into Beaufort, and then uh, Hilton Head and Charleston. Right on. Hey, just as an aside, uh, that uh, Flying Dutchman F-35, was that out of Beaufort? Was that, that was a Cherry Point airplane, or what, do you know the deal with that? I have no idea, but I don't know how you can lose uh, an F-35. It's stealth, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, will, uh... I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff they'd keep very close to the vest, and we're going to we'll go off on a little tangent. But, I mean, I think um, the old F-117, that it had a, the ability to basically convert its own skin, you know, when they'd fence into target areas and stuff like that. And they, they essentially could silence the aircraft or at least relatively in terms of like electromagnetic spectrum and stuff like that. And if that guy had to, you know, punch out before he could sort of unsilence that jet, I could kind of see how that would happen. You know, and if he was relatively straight and level, you get miles and miles and miles out of it. Yeah. Crazy. And I think the, the F-117 came out um, late eighties early nineties. Yeah. And then now you take 30 plus years of advancement with, uh, Northrop Grumman or, uh, skunk works or whoever. Um, it's probably pretty amazing aircraft. Yeah. I, um, I remember when I was a kid I did something called civil air patrol and we did, you know, it was like volunteer search and rescue and, and stuff like that. And, there was a, a call out for a missing jet. And to this day, I don't know if it was a 117. This is like mid to late, mid 80s, you know, somewhere in the desert mountains, north, uh, basically northeast of Los Angeles. And it was supposed to be an A7 or something like that. And an A7 was like the cover aircraft for the 117, I think, out of, you know, Tonopah before it was really a public program. So that, the, you know, guys would fly those for currency and when they were flying around at night, you know, that's what I think controllers thought they were, you know, when, when they could see them, that's speculative, but, uh, I would imagine it was the same scenario where 
the DOD wants help finding the jet, but they don't want anybody to see the jet. They don't want anybody to approach the jet. They don't want to be take stuff off the jet, you know, once they once they find its carcass. Yeah, and all it takes is was is is one civilian uh you know, air traffic controller out of name a city, right? And they'd be like, Oh, that's an F thirty five. Loose lips, yeah, right? sink ships, right? So, like, I yeah, can't literally. even imagine the uh, the the firestorm that would have caused uh, if it word got out from a a civilian <laughs> civilian air traffic controller. Yeah, exactly. You see bits of black box on eBay. You know, hey, I, I found a, a chunk of uh, radar absorbing material. <laughs> Yeah, wants exactly. to a wall or something like that. Yeah, that's awful. Anyway, that's enough of that, dude. So let's do this. The other piece, I mean, we've covered the must-do item for any watch podcast, and that's talk about weather. But the other must-do item is the wrist check. And in our case, we do a wrist check, poor check. What do you have on the wrist today? And do you have anything in the glass? Uh, so I am wearing my, probably my favorite piece out of my collection uh my omega seamaster nectin edition on the bracelet that uh, is a great watch dude yeah i i absolutely love it um it's it's my daily um and of course you know i'm a big fan of the new belgian ipa so i have a voodoo ranger ipa with me no, those are great beers. We've gone back, uh, back and forth a few times. Back channel the the Voodoo Ranger and um, oh man, what's the other one? Uh, oh, I can I can picture the can. So yeah, juice anyway, force or that's uh, one. Thank you. Yes, the yeah. the juice force. Those things are those are big boy serious beers, man. In terms of uh, ABV, yeah. Um... And I'm sure we'll get into it, but uh, I didn't always love IPA. Uh, I fell in love with IPA when I got uh, sent to Alaska. Um, but now it's like I am a, uh, I don't know if snob is the right word, but um, if they don't have an IPA, like I won't drink a beer there, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, let me let me ask you this. So I really like a good IPA. Um and to me, like an IP, a good IPA is like a really good complex red wine. But I have the same issue with IPAs that I do with red wine. Like I, one is good, and then I go to something lighter for like the second or third beer if I'm going to be there for a while. Are you the same way, or can you do like two or three, or like Pat McNamara, where he can just, you know, IPA after IPA after IPA after IPA? Uh, so put it this way: before this, I had a. Cashmerize IPA by New Belgian as well. Um, that was right before we started. And then uh, I'll probably finish this Voodoo Ranger and maybe probably crack open another one. But yeah, I can do I can do IPAs uh, all night. All right, then. Gotcha, gotcha. Cody's got his big boy pants on, man. That's too <laughs> yeah. Um if it's not IPA, uh, I do love Merlot uh, for wine of choice. And of course, um, a good gl- gimlet. That's a perfect summer drink, in my opinion. Oh, right And uh, I have a problem with bourbon. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Okay. That, that could uh, be problem right. Problem like as in, I just love it. Um, 
Yeah, I just love bourbon. Um, that is my, that's my, if it's not an IPA, it's probably a bourbon. So dude, I, um, I also like bourbon of the brown booze. Like I, I prefer bourbon way over scotch and you know, the, the purists and stuff will be like, Oh, you're a Philistine, but, um, I can drink a good bourbon. I'll always take that. I think, you know, unless it's something really, you know, interesting or expensive that I haven't tried for scotch, but something good like that, dude. So I have a question. Um, I don't want to like, keep, you know, like what's the word, like falling into the nerd loop on like the military connection, but do you follow Brad Holling? Uh, no, I do not. I know I heard you and Greg talk about him last time and you posted it on your Instagram. Um, yeah. but no, I do not. So, um, he is, I've been following his account for years and I would say for the past like three years, uh, probably about 50% of his stuff is about the development and the build out of a, what looks like a pretty, like pretty well capitalized venture to produce bourbon. Um, I, I want to say he's in the Carolinas, but it may be Tennessee, but, and for people listening, Brad Hollings is a, uh, former, I don't know what you'd call it. I mean, in, in the common parlance Delta force. Right. And he's on, on my mind cause this is early October and early October is, uh, when Gothic serpent happened, the, the so-called, you know, the black Hawk down scenario. Yep. And uh, Brad Holling, yeah, was uh, lost his leg, continued to serve in the army for many, many years after that. But he was, you know, part of that, that dust up, that incident. Um, but he's been building out what looks like, you know, it's going to be a pretty neat, like well-capitalized uh, bourbon company, a spirits company. And I think it's called, it's like the, all the stuff that I've seen written and I don't have it down, but it's like B H A W K like Brad Hollings, American whiskey company or something like that. But it's like B Hawk. Nice. Um, yeah. So I think uh, in a year or so, you know, we might start seeing bottles. I will gladly uh, take a bottle. And I think, so I'm sure we'll get into it when we talk about me uh, or my story. Um, I think he lost his leg when a uh, RPG came through the uh, bottom of the 60 he was in, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about my background and I've been a history nerd and I, I am old enough to have followed that incident kind of as it unfolded pretty closely. And I think that's exactly right. I think he was... Uh, I think the deal was during the night they took um, one of the super sixties out over the, you know, the, the site. And uh, they, you know, came into a low hover to drop, you know, supplies, basically, you know, bags full of uh, water, MREs, ammo. And, you know, when they came into a hover, they took an RPG and yeah, he lost his leg. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know, profoundly traumatic experience, but the dude's a hero and, you know, he's oh, a, yeah. a case study in, you know, soldiering on TM and, uh, just, you know, seems like an amazing guy and he's always cool about responding to DMS and, and comments and stuff like that. And it's, you know, very, uh, very neat to see his story. Great yeah, so, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I was at Texas A&M uh, attending college um, like a good old boy um, when that movie came out. But I guess we're kind of ruining 
the whole podcast, aren't we? We're just kind of going right into it, aren't we, Matt? No, you know what, though? I, we get feedback on this all the time. And sometimes when this stuff, you know, when it's rambling and stuff like that, the way it's described by my friend Summer Eskimo, who was one of our sort of our podcast gurus and who taught me how to edit and stuff like that. He's on something called the Out of Time Podcast. He's like the best podcasts, like the best conversations are the ones where people listening like in the car or just, you know, it just flows. Yeah. And it it feels like you're ear hustling, you know, where you're at the table next to these guys at the bar and you're kind of like, yeah, nodding along. You know what they're talking about. You have some input, but you're not going to talk or or you're yelling at the steering wheel like, yes, yes, this, this, this. So, yeah, it's all good. Well, hey, let's let's circle back on on that because that's obviously an entree. But we got to finish the uh, the wrist check, poor check. You did yours. I'm going to do mine. I have so I couldn't decide. I always try to tailor things to you know the guest, and I have kind of the what I consider sort of the ultimate. I don't know if you can see this, but this is kind of the go anywhere, do anything tool watch. It's not really a go anywhere, do anything watch. This is the Zen one zero three titanium diapal. So this is the, the 103 chronograph and it is, uh, it's the 12 hour second time zone, titanium, 200 meters water resistance. You know, it's a count up timer in the form of the chronograph and a, you know, a countdown bezel, just super, you know, wannabe mil spec. So it's perfect for me. And that's what I'm wearing. But the other piece, though, I mean, I had to throw this in. This is the the relatively new watch alert. I've had this for a little bit, but I my AD was kind enough to give me a call. They had one on the on day one of this, and uh, this is the FXD, the black FXD Navy, whatever we're calling it, but the one that came out about a month or so ago. And have this. I've taken it off the OEM strap, which is excellent, and have put this on the watches of Espionage Five Eyes, which is really really cool. And yeah, I figured, you know, for with you as our guest, these two watches would be kind of an awesome one two punch. Super so I cool. do have a a question and I would like to get your opinion on that new um FXD. Let me hear it. Why do you think uh Tudor so if they the whole theory behind it is it kind of relates to the story of the Tudor Submariners being issued to early U.S. Navy uh, UDT teams. They were known as Frogmen, of course. Uh, and then the Tudor Submariners that got passed on to the... Um, when the UDD teams graduated to become SEALs, the, the name change. Um, why do you think Tudor didn't... So it's cost certified, but why do you think they didn't put their Metis certification on it when they have it in their factory? I don't know that Cosk is that easy yet, and I'm I'll I love Tudor, but I'm going to hold up my hand and say I am very much an Omega fanboy. Like very. Oh much. yeah, me too, a hundred percent. Yeah, and I I do think, and I will say this all day long: if somebody were to just drop a you know like a a, a root beer GMT in my hand, that's kind of like my exit watch, at least right now. That's like would be my favorite thing ever, but I have to acknowledge that modern watches, I think Omega is still, we did a, a whole episode on this like a year and a half ago. Modern Omega is better than modern Rolex. It's just more interesting. There's a wider yes. range of stuff. I think there's more technology going on, you know, for as great as Rolex is. And it is, 
I think in in the past 10 to 15 years, um, Rolex technology-wise is catching up to Omega, not the other way around. And, you know, I always challenge people, go back and find like an early 90s vintage Submariner and compare it to like a 2254 Omega Seamaster. There's not the Peter much. Blake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or or a bond if you like that. I I like the new version of the Seamaster Professional. The older one I don't like the the handset as much. But I so for the older watches I prefer the Peter Blake. But if you if you look at those, especially or maybe even going back a little bit further, like watches from the late eighties before there's like gold and stuff like that, you know, on the dial. Um there's really not much to separate them. You know, in terms of quality, I would say the Omega has a better bracelet. Uh, you know, the everybody loves to hate the helium escape valve on the Omega. But I, I think at some point they did, you know, the calculus and said, hey, you're, you're more likely to have with an autonomous valve. This is me being completely, I'm speculating. I, I know, don't know about this. With a helium escape valve that's like just an automatic thing, like in a... Uh, you know, a doxa or a sea dweller or something like that. If that's fouled with any contaminants or something like that, and it ends up not working, you might as well not have it at all. The crystal pops off, the watch is destroyed maybe, or whatever. Whereas if you can manually actuate it, it's probably more positive, more reliable. Um, there's just, I think there was more going on with Omega when they finally decided this is the Seamaster and we're sticking with this design language and we're going with it. But to answer your question, because I rambled, um, I have a feeling that uh, I would expect that Metos is not as easy, not as fast, and not as inexpensive as we think. And I think, to be honest, tutors are such a good value because I think secretly, I think some of them might be loss leaders. Well, what's funny is, so um, Tudor built their new, uh, new facility. And in that facility is they have like their own Metis certification um, room. We'll call it that room. Yeah, like a little um, facility within a facility. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. Like I, I hope one day I get uh, an FXD. I'm a big fan of the uh, Alingi Red Bull Racing one. Okay. Um, but when this came out, I was like, well if they're touting it and trying to tie it to the lineage of the UDTs, they have the ability to make it metis. Why didn't they? I don't know. It's just, Oh, it's a fun question to ask and it gets conversations going because then it's like, Oh, well, and don't get me wrong. The Pelagos, Pelagos, it's a, it's an amazing watch. It's beautiful. Um, Titanium, of course, either you get the Marine National or the black one like you have. Um, I like the fixed bars. I do. Um, it's just something about it, but it's a good question. And yeah, going think, back to you know, the Omega, sorry. Um, of course. That helium escape valve is such an iconic design line of the case. It's unmistakable. It's recognizable. It is their lineage and history. And once you see it, you're like, oh, that's a Seamaster. Like if they got away with it and went to an automatic one, um, it just wouldn't be the same. 
no, I agree. I think it's it's part of the the design language now, and it it it's kind of like uh, the Cyclops, you know, on a Rolex yep. steel sports, or you know, they don't need it. You know, they could just have a date wheel that's the same size as everybody else and just delete it. You know, uh, but it's it's a visual identifier from across the room. It's unmistakable when you see it. Same thing kind of with the, um, maybe not so much the the Jubilee bracelet, because a lot of people do Jubilee, but like a good oyster bracelet, you you know what it is visually when you see it. I think, you know, the helium escape valve on the Seamasters and the the POs, you can't get rid of those now. I, yeah, I don't it'd think. be like, it'd be like Ford uh, creating a Mustang without the horse on it. Like, you just don't do that. Right. Yeah. and. You know, why would you? I, I see so many people like criticize, especially the modern one, because when they came out with the, the new one in 2018, they touted the fact that you could have it have the helium escape valve open underwater. And you see so many people saying, oh, that's dumb. You know, why would you do that? That's, you know, that's blah, blah, blah. And the, the point is, it's like, no, that's the, the point of failure is if you inadvertently left it open when you went underwater. That was mm-hmm. the criticism of the old watch. Now, you know, that's fixed. You could inadvertently leave it open and, you know, get wet. You can submerge the watch to depth and and not have it flood. Um, but there's, I think there, it's a misunderstood component to the watch. I think personally, I think it actually looks kind of cool. I wish they'd maybe reprofile it slightly to kind of make it a little smaller, you know, in terms of the distance off the case. They made it kind of okay, conical. Yeah. You know, instead of being kind of a a perfect cylinder, now it's like the, what's the word? Like a, the, you know, bite size, uh, Reese's, you know, peanut butter cup that you get like around this time of year. Remember those? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like a crown shape. Well, just, just make the crown a little, a little shorter, but it's uh, not even that, um, like how many people are really diving to the depths where you need a helium escape valve. I'm not. Nope. I will in no way, shape, form, or fashion dive that deep. I have I have no desire to go that deep. But I know I'm a big fan of capability. Um, and it's just something cool to have. Like, I will never use it, but it's cool to have. Yeah. I No, I agree. It's... The only the only reason I would honestly ever get rid of and I think you know this I have the the basic plain Jane black version I know I love it watch. yeah and uh, I got that in 2018 and the only reason I would ever get rid of that watch would be to trade for a steel and gold and you know oh, the exact same watch but just in a in a two tone format um, I love the white one I love the necton like if I was coming into my like love for those watches now I probably would go necton then steel and gold, then white, then black. Blue, yeah, kind of leaves me cold on that watch, but they're all just super bitching. Yeah, I have um, – so I'm going to wind up next weekend, and, of course, I have to go to watches of uh, Switzerland shop, and I really hope um, – like I just want to see the uh, 75th anniversary Seamasters in person. Because that blue is amazing. Um, I love the, I'll call it polar. I love the polar S&P, like through and through. I want one so bad. Um, 
but the black one is it's elegant to me in my opinion the black one is elegant the blue one is starkingly beautiful like as you can tell i'm a i'm an omega fanboy uh big time um but yeah the necton it's it's a sleeper it's a stealth seamaster you don't see many of them on or around and it would be awesome of, if- um with the ablated titanium bezel, you just don't notice it on the wrist of people. It looks so cool. I would love it if they made an aftermarket version of that bezel that visually, like in terms of the design and dimensions and everything is exactly the same, but executed in platinum. Just a drop-in replacement. <laughs> just a oh. precious metals replacement bezel for the Necton, huh? That would be so badass. They, I think they'd make a fortune, like, you know, adding a little bit of a configurator capability, you know, where you could, you know, do some aftermarket bezels. I want to say it's uh, it's Formex that, you know, makes it so that you can you can swap the bezels out pretty you can, easily. Uh, you can swap those bezels on Formexes. Yep. 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 I, I think more people should do that. I've seen the I um, talked to my AD about a maybe two years ago about getting the blue watch bezel for like the, the watch that you and I have, the SMP 300 and uh, getting the blue bezel and dropping it onto the black watch. And about six months ago, I started seeing pictures and I think it was maybe on Fratello. Somebody had done it. So it's, it's definitely doable. Yeah. I mean, you can, I can put a, um, you know, you can go on Chrono 24 or, you know, buy the ceramic, bezel and replace it yourself it's pretty easy um but i have thought and i have been tempted to pick up a black ceramic bezel and just put it on it just to see what it would look like with the um because the necton has that matte gray face um yeah i don't know i don't know but i love it um i probably will not do that even though i want to i just don't want to ruin it because i love it no, that that would be a fun project if if you're in a position to have like two or three, you know, Seamasters. I was I was on with um with Balash from again the the Fratello podcast. And one I of remember the things, I listened I, to it. <laughs> I talked to Greg about this, about the idea of like basically just kind of maybe consolidating part of my collection into like a vertical capsule collection of Seamasters. Just, you know, get like a, a Peter Blake, a steel and gold three hundred SMP maybe a, a, a blue planet ocean, you know, this is just me spitballing, but like the, this, the, you know, 70th anniversary Aquaterra and just, you know, stack them up. But I, I love pretty much everything in these, in that family of watches, the extended family. They're, they're just really neat watches, man. I I'm sure. Yeah. You agree. Um, I don't know. Uh, I've gone back and forth between what my next watch is going to be, my next mid-tier luxury watch. And for a long time, um, I really wanted an IWC uh, Aqua Timer Galapagos edition. Um, but then it goes back to I I love the Seamaster and I love the innovation and where they are going and what they've done that I've I will stop at another Seamaster and just focus on the micro brands because those are amazing watch companies as well. Well, right. The design and 
you know, just the fun stuff going on in, in the micro, or I, I hesitate to even use that word. Cause I mean, we know like, let's say Cameron Weiss, I wouldn't call Weiss yeah. watch like the micro. It, he's as close to independent a brands. So right. Exactly. You know, and, uh, uh, notice you guys have, you know, oh, done yeah. a great collaboration with notice. Those guys are awesome. They produce some fantastic watches. I ended up, we got a watch in for review, you know, maybe, uh, maybe close to a year ago, maybe in the, the winter or whatever, but, uh, Imperial watch company, um, saw them first at, again, at intersect and thought, ah, oh, that's cool. But it, you know, didn't really pique my interest, but it, it, when it crossed my transom and got into my hands, I was like, I'm not going to send this back. What do I owe you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like the, it's just, yeah, there's independent just so much brands are like, They make it just as amazing watches. Um, the quality that they put into their design, like Notice, for example, or Singing Instruments. Um, There's so many independent brands. Uh, for sure, watches, which I love. Um, what they're doing is amazing. Like, yep, they'll release a model with the NH35 movement, and then the next model might have a Salita. It's just, uh, I think they're on the forefront as well on what an independent watch company can do versus yeah. the big Swiss. Yeah, that's it's where I think a lot of the most interesting stuff is happening. And if if we um, if we kind of accept the idea that design and aesthetics and fit is maybe the you know the biggest piece, and if we can kind of put like brand history in air quotes you know, and, and, and price and all that kind of to the side, the, the smaller brands, the independent brands, the micros are doing some of the most like visually interesting stuff. So why not, you know, pay more attention to those? I would, oh, I yeah. am. Uh, yeah. So, or, so, well, so, so is, so is anti-watch watch club. Right. Um, and me as a person, like I, I love uh, the independent brands. Like one of my favorite watches that I have in my collection is the Foreign Sweat um, Vice Chrono Edition. Oh, right on! Like I love that watch because I love I love the movie Tron. Um, I was born in '81, so my childhood is the '80s. So, um, like that watch speaks to me, and like they're not out there selling. $4,000 watches like they're doing their thing. They're fun. They're amazing. And they are just very cool. Yeah, dude, that's, that's the best stuff. I think, Hey, let's, let's put a pin in that for two seconds. Cause we can, I think we can easily talk about this for another 10 or 15. Down the rabbit hole all night. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you, the, maybe one of the most important thing we just speed bumped over it a few seconds ago, and that is anti-watch watch club. I think most of our listeners are probably going to know who you are and know what that is, but let's just kind of do the, the 30,000 foot overview. Can you kind of recap in like two minutes? Can you let people know, because we do have some new listeners, what is Anti-Watch Watch Club? Yeah. So the, the Anti-Watch Watch Club is a true 501c3 nonprofit organization ran by five individuals with help from a select few others across five states, five, four, no, 
three different time zones. Our whole purpose and our whole mission statement is to uh, provide assistance for those in need who have kind of, whether they're a military veteran, military active, a law enforcement officer active or retired, a firefighter, first responders, doesn't matter. And then we also provide the additional resources if a uniformed officer in a small department wants and recognizes that he or she needs a next level of training, whether it's a shooting course, CQB, first aid, first responder courses, um, to where they can provide additional first aid other than what they are normally taught in the academy. We can provide the resources for those individuals to be able to go out and seek that additional training that that department may not have the budget for. Um, shooting is a very perishable skill. First aid is a very perishable skill. And the more you train, the more you pay attention, the better you're going to be when the time comes. And as we all know, um, you know, most fights go to the ground um, and it's not easy fighting on the ground with a bunch of kit. So if we can send that uniformed officer to a uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu class pay for the memberships for the gym. We are there to do that because we, we recognize that there is a huge, a huge gap in training um, from what is taught at all the academies across the U S um, and even at the federal level. Um, we understand that there's a, there's a gap and we want to close that gap. And maybe uh, it's a firefighter or EMT. Yes, they are. They may be EMT B or basic, but that doesn't mean that they cannot go out on their own to get more advanced trauma training. Yeah, that's all. That kind of stuff is very useful. And as you say, I mean, probably the majority of you know law enforcement and first responders, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs work for smaller agencies you know, organizations that don't necessarily have a lot of money to do anything other than, you know, very basic training, you know, maybe annual recurrency training. And it's, you know, very important for the, the life of the, the officer, the people that officers and fire firefighters are, are serving and everybody's best interest that the training is as good as, as frequent as possible. So that's, I know very, I have a lot of friends in, in law enforcement here in Southern California, and there's a lot of stuff, even in the big agencies that are very well-funded, that they just don't get to do that they need to do. So that that need is very real. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk offline about it, of course, but, uh, you know, we're seeing it today in the, in the real world right here in the United States that there is a, there's a huge gap. Um, and whatever we can do to provide assistance for those for those uniformed officers, first responders, you know, we're here. No, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic mission. That's something that's kind of close to my heart. So that's really cool. And certainly part of the reason why I think we identify with you guys so well. I mean, aside from the watches and the booze and all that other stuff, but. If it's smoky, so studsy or boozy. That's right. right there 100%. Yeah. 
Don't worry. And, yeah, and, I'm, a, and, I'm a fan. So <laughs> all good. All good. Well, dude, so when we had uh, your counterpart on a few months ago, um, Zach came on and he had at the time teased an upcoming collaboration that has in the past few months has come to fruition. People have the watches. Can you give us like a, a quick, you know, 30 second, 60 second kind of overview of this uh, notice sector deep that they did for you? And, you know, how's that been received? Uh, yeah, so we we are a little over one years old as a organization. So AWWC officially became a, a nonprofit, I think, in October of last year. By November, I was talking to Wes uh, at notice about a collaboration. It was it was that fast. We were that dedicated. We because most of us are well, I'm retired United States Army, so we have that we have that mindset that don't tell me no, and we're too stupid to quit. Um, so I immediately reached out, and this is who we are. This is our mission. Um, you want to do a watch together. He was absolutely on board. And of course we're huge DLC fans. So it had to be DLC. We understand the, the capability that a, a diving watch brings versus uh, a dress watch field watch. So we knew it had to be out of their catalog, the deep. So we put our logo on the dial and I think we only literally went through about three three renders before we chose what it was. We decided to only make 50. Um, 47 of them were sold to our plank owners and the three that were, were released on the notice website went out in about, I think 10 seconds. <laughs> like um, people were emailing Wes over at Notice. Suck it, Odinky. They were really <laughs> mad that they like it was. It sold out so fast. It was in people's cart, um, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Um, yeah, people were really, really upset, and you know we still have one available that's going to be going on our website as a raffle. So, for those listeners who want to uh, contribute at their chance of winning one. Um, we have one available that will be going on raffle. Um, but yeah, all, all of them, uh, it's the reception of it has been amazing because, you know, for an organization to come on board and in this industry in this space, that's very congested. Um, as you've seen on Instagram, it's, it's amazing. No, it's super cool, man. As you say, it is congested. Although to a certain extent, I think when you zoom out a little bit, it's kind of not. I mean, you, what you guys do is not very crowded to my mind. No, I don't think no, there is, anybody else does what you guys do. Yeah, there is There is no one really out there there that is doing what we are doing. Um, we do not take a paycheck from this. You know, what we do make goes back into the organization to be able to create more products and to be able to keep our lights on. Um, I think I can speak safely for the five of us that run it day to day that our goal is to one day do it full time and, you know, make this more real than 
what it is because it's truly humbling um, to be a part of it. But yeah, like it's just um, the watch has been amazing. No, that's cool, man. I'm looking forward to see what you guys do next. If you do another, you, you uh, talk about kind of. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. So, um, so my position in the organization is the chief business development officer. So I'm the one that gets to reach out, use my background to assist me in um, developing partnerships, relationships, collaborations. Um, we do have something special coming up next year. Um, it is another watch. Um, and this watch company has huge, uh, huge history and lineage, um, with the U S forces. Um, but yeah, I think when it, when it comes out, it's going to be amazing and it's just gonna, it's really going to be special. Oh man, you're going to have to talk to me offline about it. Uh, I'm, I'm interested. I got an email from somebody the other day. who's was like, Hey man, I'm an F 16 maintainer. Uh, actually I don't want to say maintainer. I just assumed that's what he, what he was kind of referring to or she, for that matter. It was just, it was just a, you know, private message. Uh, you know, who, what watch companies can I work with for, you know, if I want to spearhead a squadron watch, we've got some people in the squadron that are interested. And I just, I ran off the list of usual suspects, including notice with you guys as a, uh, as a reference. So I'm, very interested to see what that's going to be. But you mentioned sort of your background in, you know, developing relationships and things like that. In 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 my experience, not having been in it, but as an outsider looking in and as somebody who kind of studies it, if there's probably nothing more uh, entrepreneurial in the military than the nature, the kind of the organization that you served with. We've talked a little bit about anti-watch watch club. Can you give us a little bit of a, a history of what it is you did in the service? You, you know, you kind of dropped that tease about having been in the army. Um, what's, uh, what did Cody fight do in the army? Yeah. So, Oh Lord. So yeah, I did my 20 years. Um, I, it started when I was at Texas A&M, uh, university. Um, I had a little too much fun uh, at school. Um, I attended summer session there. And after summer session, I was already put on academic probation. So you can kind of get the gist of what I was focusing on. Um, so fall semester starts and I school just wasn't for me um, at that time. And I was trying to find out what I was going to do with my life. Um, my father retired as a full bird colonel. So in 06, uh, in the United States army as well. Uh, so he did 30 years. So I already had that, that mentality, that mindset, but it just, at the time I, I was still trying to find out who I was. I knew my father was military. His dad uh, retired out of the Army Air Corps in World War II and so on. But then we, we talked about Black Hawk Down. That movie came out and it was kind of at a pivotal moment. It was like, well, do I move back home, go back to community college, get my grades up, GPA up, and go back to Texas A&M? Or do I 
do I join? Um, movie came out. I went to go see it in the theater in College Station and kind of solidified my decision to join. Um, do not regret it. Um, go through basic AIT, go to jump school uh, down at Benning. Immediately, I find myself in the 82nd uh, out of Fort Liberty, or I will always refer to it as Bragg. Um, and then within three weeks of me getting to my BCT, I was in Ramadi, Iraq, as a brand new private. Um, so is, is this what, like 2004? No. So this is 2003, like literally a jump, uh, graduate jump school. And I think it was, oh man, June, June of 03. Took some leave after jump school, get to the 82nd, in process, get to my BCT, and then I'm on a flight to uh, Kuwait, Kuwait into Bag uh, Baghdad, Baghdad to Ramadi, where my uh, battalion was. And then, yeah, brand new private, not knowing anything. It's like, oh man, I'm in Iraq, and this is 2003. Uh, stayed there throughout... Um, the fall, the winter was there when Saddam was captured. And then we get back to, we redeploy in 2004 to uh, Bragg. Uh, I love the 82nd. It just, for those who have served in the 82nd, it, it's interesting, um, say the least. Um, I knew I wanted to do something different. Um, spend some time in the woods, and then I found myself in uh, 3rd SF group uh, as part of a reconnaissance detachment, and I was there for, you know, almost 10 years, and a bunch of deployments, served with, served on some amazing teams with some amazing individuals that I will never forget, um, and then, yeah, back-to-back -back Afghanistan trips, um, come back and the army said, you, you need to go somewhere else. Cause you, regardless of what your MOS is, uh, you, you can go other places. So they sent me to Alaska and I got to be an instructor at the Northern warfare training center, teaching mount, military mountaineering and the cold weather leadership course. So if you've ever been stationed in Alaska, um, you have to do cold weather training because um, it's pretty cold. Um, do you know Jason from from Army in Time? Uh, I know Army in Time. I've never talked to Jason except via. Uh, well, when would you say Jason? I'm actually. I think I'm thinking of Sorry, you, um, you Jason, Jason. right, Chief is, Alex. Yeah, not not watch rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason's watch yeah, rolling. Okay. Um, yeah. Another amazing individual. Um, but could, yeah, Alex, like he, he was in Alaska. Uh, he was in Anchorage while I was in Fairbanks at the schoolhouse, um, teaching people how to conduct military mountaineering operations, how to survive and conduct, you know, patrols in cold weather on snowshoes when it's, you know, minus 40 degrees. Nothing like to work. Nothing likes to work when it's 40 below, 
Um, that includes uh, some toes or garments. Batteries, <laughs> yeah, batteries more. don't like that cold. No, um, which I think I wore my sun toe because that was what mostly the watches I wore and up until that point. Uh, I did have a Seiko 7002 that I lost on a jump. Don't know how. Oh. It's, it's probably on Sicily drop zone somewhere um, if it hasn't been found already, but this is 2004. I lost it. Um, Replace it with a Sunto Vector, and that's what carried me on for a while until I, I moved up in the Sunto range. But, yeah. So those were my early watches. Yeah. Got sent to Washington State's uh, JBLM. It was only there for two years before I So for people I listening, I needed to do something different and more relaxing. Uh, yeah. Were, were you first group there? No. So I was uh, kind of a – we have the ability to do a lot of different positions, um, LNOs everywhere. 2009, I got hurt doing a half. Uh, so for those that don't know, it's a helicopter assault force. Kind of blew my back out uh, month two. Um, couldn't move my left toes. Couldn't even wiggle them. Um, you know, this is month two out of seven. Kind of run and guns my back out got back to brag and had surgery at walter reed like four weeks later and then rehab that summer else back in afghanistan um so i knew my days of running and gunning were really limited because um my injury so i took kind of chill assignments to chill jobs because i was i was honestly tired and mentally tired of being away from the family, but it is an addiction that uh, those who know, know what I'm talking about. Um, there's something special about it. I, it's very hard to describe, but it's an addiction because all you want to do is do your job, serve with your, your, your brothers and deploy. You want to start fights, get in fights, finish them because that's what, you were trained to do, but I knew my days were limited because too many close calls. I've seen too many of my brothers, you know, pay the ultimate price. So I took chill assignments, chill jobs because I was just done deploying. Uh, came down to uh, Fort Stewart to be a observer coach trainer, kind of help the National Guard units out, and retired out of here. Okay, so that's how you get to uh, to Savannah. Fort that's Stewart. how I got to Savannah. Gotcha. How how many years were you eighty second? Uh, so I was eighty second from essentially oh for only a year and a half, a year. Oh, okay, so that's quick. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. That was that was. It's a very interesting life. Um, those who know know because all you do is you know run every day, Monday through Friday, um, X number of miles. The army back then loved to do, you know, you run Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you do a ruck March Thursday, and then you kind of do like push-ups and sit-ups between that. Well, in 82nd, you will run four miles to go do 
push-ups and sit-ups. Then you got to run four miles back. And then you got to ruck. And then it's just a repeat process. So your body already takes uh, a pounding. Of course, jumping out of planes is fun, but it's your body's not designed for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I will say that. To realize, right, there's, you know, in the movies, you have people who are, you know, really uh, tough guys and, and you can be mentally super hard. But at the end of the day, I mean, at, there's only so many jumps that your back and your knees and your neck are going to take. And there's only so much rucking you can do, you know, before parts of the body just start screaming. Um, yeah. Um, I, after my first back surgery, cause I've had, I've been lucky enough to have two back surgeries. Um, every jump I did, um, I would literally lay on the ground after I released my, you know, canopy, canopy release assembly. So I'm not getting dragged by my parachute. Um, and I would just lay there for like a minute. Be like, oh my God, why am I doing this? Or checking, making sure I can move my toes, my ankles. And it's just taxing. Um, but yeah, but I wouldn't, jumping out of a plane is, there's something about it, especially when you do, you know, 600, 800 AGL. Um, <laughs> it's fun at night, you know, you got all of C-17s behind you and everyone's jumping. It's, it's, it's a sight to see. Did you hear our episode with John Mosquito Boat? I don't want to put you on the spot. If, no, if no, you no. Have... I, I, will, I will be completely honest. Um, I cannot recall. So, well, that guy, so he was 20, 20 odd years Marine infantryman. He okay. came on. He's, by the way, he's an amazing follow. You should follow that dude. Mosquito okay. Boat. Mosquito Boat. Yeah, so he um, he served in the Marine Corps, but he is a uh, World War II airborne reenactor. Oh man! So I guess every year in October, early October, and they go back in in Oklahoma and get everybody together and you know requal and do the Jumpmaster requals, and everybody's doing yep. that kind of staff line stuff. But they're all in the you know the the circa nineteen forty four kit, getting into C forty sevens. You know, and, and jumping and everybody's getting kind of recertified and they go to all of these, you know, demonstrations and, you know, anniversary things and uh, air shows and stuff like that. And he does that as a volunteer. And that's the kind of thing I can I have no desire to skydive, but like I would I, I would be very interested to do like a static line jump like that, like just like what you saw in, you know, uh, uh, Bridge Too Far. You know, just uh, everywhere, you, everywhere you look, you hear, you know, pop, clink, clink, pop, clink, clink, you know, just, just nothing else except droning engines and canopies yep, popping. It's, um, when I was there, um, the 82nd does at the time, I, I have no idea if they do it now. Um, it's division, division readiness week and they do kind of like a large package week and the entire brigade combat team that is assuming, um, it's readiness force does a mass tactical jump on airfield airfield seizure. So it is, you know, 3000 paratroopers, trucks, equipment being dropped in a matter of minutes of each other. And it is just aircraft after aircraft. Everyone is landing. A lot of injuries happen, but that's just the nature. Um, and yeah, you link, you link up and you you salt your objective, and then it's like, oh man, like that was awesome. 
And then you have to walk back, of course, because they don't like to use trucks to take you back to uh, Contonement. But you have to walk back yeah, because they're born. Yeah, <laughs> you got to be better. Um, but I understand it. Um, for those who, who have seen Band of Brothers, which I'm sure is the majority of your audience, um, you do not land that soft at all. Yeah, what, look at how heavy those guys looked in in that movie with all of that stuff. That's pro- that, honestly, that's probably nothing. Yeah, you know, and you, modern, you had modern modern equipment today. So you know, radios, radio batteries. You've got a bigger rucksack. You've got modern um, gear that is issued to you. You're fully loaded, and it's. You're duck walking because the ruck is underneath you. You know, it's your ruck is 80, 90 pounds, if not more, uh, depending on if you are jumping a mortar base plate or not. And then you've got to shoot. And then it is just, it's brutal. But it is amazing at the same time. Yeah, it, it looks amazing. I, I, that's the one thing I would love to try. You can, you can keep that halo crap, but low altitude, everybody out, go, 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 go. That would be, that would be super cool. So you go from 82nd, uh, to third group. Now you're special forces for people. I think a lot of people are going to understand in, in general terms, right? This is the green berets, but the reason I kind of alluded to this before in terms of your, your military experience, helping with the anti-watch watch club, um, when you think about it as an outsider looking in, I think of what do special forces soldiers do that, you know, other, other people in the military don't. And it seems to me, you know, that SF guys are very comfortable being very entrepreneurial, very far from the flagpole, you know, meaning not, not a ton of supervision once, you know, they're, they're doing the job they're trained for making, you know, fairly high level decisions and essentially running a business if the business is a small war. And yeah, you, you um, repurpose those skills, you can, oh yeah. Every, you can easily run a small business. Yeah, everything is is by, with, and through, right? So it sure. is by your, your outside force that you're going to be with. In this case of Anti-Watch Watch Club, it is with the four other individuals that we run day to day with, by, with, and through, uh, we're doing everything with them. Uh, wartime, uh, Afghan, Kandak commandos, um, everything they did, we did, and everything we did, they did with us. So training, practicing assaulting objectives it's it's with your counterpart force that your life is in their hands and their life is in your hands and it's it's that instant brotherhood um for that and then when you take that into the entrepreneurial side you know by with and through i'm going to establish the relationships that allow us to come out with watch straps to come out with a sector deep that we did with notice to be able to come out with our next release next year. Um, 
because establishing relationships and partnerships is what makes or breaks you, your team, it makes or breaks your deployment, but then you can carry that over into the business side because you learn early on that everyone is connected and it's not who you know, it's who knows you. So, you know, word spread fast in the watch industry, especially in the independent brand, because, you know, they're all at wind up, they're all at intersect, they all talk, they're all friends. And that's the whole point. It's, it's, it's family. So when you can introduce that mentality to it, you, you can go a long way. And for the anti-watch watch club, um, you know, five guys working remotely outside of our normal jobs, outside of family time, you know, that, that partnership, that brotherhood, that, you know, collaboration, that networking, you know, it's, it's helped us be very successful for as old and as young as we are. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, business like unconventional warfare business. Yeah. Like I, I have out of the blue literally sought out and reached out to Mike Pearson from Zodiac, for example. Right. Hey, this oh, is who dude. I am. Good I'm dude. Cody, you know, um, yeah, I cannot wait to meet him. Um, this is who I am. This is who I represent. This is what I do. This is who we are. I'd love to talk to you. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? Sure enough, we like five minutes later, I'm on a phone conversation with them. You know, the, the ability to reach out and network for, um, Matthew, the chief operating officer for Norcane, for example. I'm not afraid to go out and reach out and network and expose myself because at the end of the day, if they say no, they say no, it didn't cost me anything. But I'm going to be able to, to influence and kind of establish my name that you'll remember. And sure enough, I'm, I'm meeting him in, uh, at watch time in New York city, uh, meeting some other people all because I, I reached out and networked. Yeah. I think you're going to like that guy when he took over, it was still kind of, you know, trailing off of COVID times, but he and I had a conversation when he was kind of coming into Zodiac and it was like, Hey, what do you think? It's like, man, you got to get as many watches as possible into the hands of like, you know, uh, any kind of, you know, military oriented account. There's so much legitimacy with that brand that people just don't know. And yeah. so much history, oh, yeah. you know, if, if Tudor was the watch people were interested in Zodiac was the, was the watch that the young GI went and bought, you know, on R and R yes. in, in Bangkok or, you know, at Subic or whatever so many people, there's all these memories that just need to be unlocked. So you're going to love this dude. He's coming into town here in LA in like two weeks and me and Greg are going to go and, and do something with him at a big event for a new watch that they're doing uh, with a blog to watch. And, you know, we, we, hopefully we have put everything together to kind of help 
help somebody to help him by supplying booze for that event. <laughs> so mm. we look forward to being there. So that's cool, man. Well, hey, yeah, we're it, especially. I know we're going on a man an hour and seven minutes already. Um, Go for it. Yeah, singing instruments. You know, Jake and uh, his wife Paris. Like, they're he's a former Marsoc Raider. So it's just that networking. Like, I've reached out to him and be like, "Hey, what do you think?" He's, well, here you go. This is my take, and it's just the community is awesome. Um, I'm just like I said, it goes back to we're just honored and grateful to be. Uh, part of Anti-Watch Watch Club and to be able to reach out. Um, for the folks that don't know, you and I have talked about it early in the show. We've been talking back and forth through text messages. It first started out as Instagram DMs and then text messages. And then Greg was in the chat, um, which I would love to be able to finally meet him and talk to him. But that's for the future. Um, sure. And it's just, it's just amazing. Like, if it wasn't for Anti-Watch Watch Club, um, I wouldn't be here. Zach wouldn't be part of it. We would just be um, we would just be collecting watches, and no one would know the wiser. No, the community for all of, you know, that we joke around about the community in quotes and stuff like that. I mean, it is very real, and it's very important. You know, it's the kind of thing that um, uh, as bad as social media can be, and a lot of it is just garbage when you kind of use it the right way and harness it in very specific ways like this, it's a beautiful thing, man. You know, I oh, feel yeah. like I've made a lot of friends over the past few years, way more than I did even, you know, in the forum days. But let me ask you, uh, cause we are going, we're not, I won't say we're going long, but I mean, we're, we're moving along. If we you are. think about this as a mental exercise, no, as old as you are now being into watches and knowing you're into watches and knowing everything you know about watches, do you agree with me, just as a kind of a yes or no, that watches can be a touchstone to sort of your past? Like when you pull up a watch that you had during, you know, a certain period of your life and stuff, it, it evokes memories, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if you could, and I'm sorry, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but if you could kind of translate yourself back in time to your first jump. Money's no object. What watch would you want on your wrist? If you could have it now to be able to pull it out of the box and remind yourself of that, you know, those first jumps, you know, or, or, you know, the, the last jump when you got your wings, what would you, what would you pick for yourself? Oh man, this is a tough one. Uh, there's, because there's two that immediately come to mind. Um, and once I give my choice, I will, I will name the other one. Um, I would honestly have to go with um, an Omega officer's watch of the 1940s. Ooh, interesting. So something like cool, historic, kind of small. But, very small. Uh, um, yeah. Very historic that was you know issued to the RAF pilots. Um, yep. You can, for those that don't know, it's, it's a really cool watch. It is just very simple and it served a purpose at that time. Uh, right on. The other watch that immediately came to my mind is the, of course, the uh, Seiko MacMe Sog editions. Um, yeah, those, but um, yeah, an Omega Officer's watch would be 
the one watch that I would love to have had on my, you know, my fifth jump, graduating jump school, or my very first jump um, in the 82nd. Um, I think that would have been a very cool story. Yeah, that's an awesome commemorative piece. As an aside, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the phenomenon, especially as one, you know, um, so many people, when you talk to them, maybe, maybe more in the past, maybe it's less so now because the idea of stolen valor is such a thing, but you know, somebody would say, oh yeah, I was in the army. And if you didn't know them and you asked them what they did, like 50% of the time they told you they were, you know, oh, I was special forces regiment or something like that. Whenever I'd hear that, I just immediately discount it. Yeah, whatever. Politely nod, go on with the rest of the conversation. I had this customer like 20 odd years ago in my business. And this guy was, you know, probably 60 at the time. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I was in the army. We're talking and over, over a series of conversations and it comes out, you know, he's like, I was in the army. What'd you do? Blah, blah, blah. I was, you know, special forces, blah, blah, blah. I did something called, you know, uh, studies, observation group, special observation group, whatever you want to call it, special operations group. It's like, yeah, okay. You know, there's about a 99% chance this is not real. Uh, on a flight, like a year later, I saw the guy on a, uh, on a documentary, you know, on Mac Vsog and the, the guy's a podiatrist. Hmm, I still see that's him. That's insane. Can you, can you, you imagine like Mac the Vsog to a podiatrist? Yeah. The stories though, that, that some of these issued watches could tell. And obviously if you hypothetically had that watch, you know, and, and were able to carry it forward, the stories it would have to, you know, from, you know, your, your jump training and, and special forces selection and Ramadi and all of that stuff. So watches are very special things, very, very personal, very permanent in our lives. If, if we let them be. Yeah. Because it's even, so my, my son and daughter will, uh, you know, they're always asking, what watch do you have on? It's like, well, I have on this one or I have on the notice or I have on my uh, singing instruments or the Seiko uh, 7002 I have or, you know, my foreign switch, which my daughter loves because it's very bright and colorful. Um, and I'm always telling them, like, yeah, these will be yours one day. Like, all my watches are going to y'all. Like, Really? And of course, my my son wants my notice, of course, because it's all black and it's cool. But you know, my daughter will get it to be give it. She'll get it first because she's the firstborn. Um, Omega will go to my son. Um, but yeah, like it's it's that it's something we can pass on because they know they see us wear it. They see us making memories with them at our side. Um, and it's, it's very special, um, horology, and it's also a very interesting world. Yeah, it's a fascinating business, kind of a neat microcosm. And compared to so many other, you know, hobby areas, I guess, uh, a lot of it, especially in the micro space, is pretty accessible in, in the best possible way. You meet people, you know, you... you tend to like these people it's all good yeah and like you and i talking right now um if we didn't have watches in common and we didn't love a simple antiquated piece of equipment because a watch is really right i've got an sure. iphone i'm sure you have an iphone or you know a samsung um or apple watches and 
then you look at the mechanical watch or quartz watch and it's antiquated. But we don't care. We, we love it. I mean, I can look at the date on my phone and it tells me what date. It tells me everything I need to know. But, um, but yeah, it's a very interesting world and it brings people together, which is what this world needs. Why we love yeah, makers. A hundred percent, man. Well, hey, dude, I uh, I think that's actually a, probably a pretty good note to end on. It's been fantastic to meet you finally and to be able to. Finally. You know, we've talked for, yeah, back channel for literally months and months. And, you know, to be able to meet has been fantastic. Um, is there anything you want to close out on? I mean, you, you know, you've kind of teased upcoming watches. You guys, uh, you'd mentioned already that you maybe it was it essentially raffling or a drawing for the final sector deep people please go to the anti-watch watch club site yep uh, anything else you want to drop on there uh so we are always working on um straps um we have some i think we have some multicam black cordora uh nato straps left on the site as well check them out they're pretty amazing um and you never know what will pop up on the site for strap, shirts, patches, um, because all of it goes back into the organization for us to be able to sponsor um, those who seek a greater capability or those in need. Um, so you never know, just sign up, newsletter, we push them out. Um, it's pretty amazing stuff. All very cool. I, uh, I can second that. I recommend, you know, anybody who's kind of into this sort of subgenre of our collecting hobby, go check out Anti-Watch Watch Club. The stickers are awesome. You can't see it on the on the back of my Mac. Thanks for the swag, by the way. I've got those like Always. all over like my, yeah, my, my, I've got a, one of these, uh, an SKB case that I carry all of my podcasting electronics and stuff like that. It's got the uh, the slaps on it. the The MacBook has the the stickers. Yeah, the I've, I've got, got some more stuff uh, coming my way that I will be sending to you and Greg as well. So, right on. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to you back channel after the fact once you do uh, wind up, and I'll be sending you information and pictures and stuff from the event that we do here in LA with Mike Pearson and Zodiac and a blog to watch. But. Uh, Dude, it's been fantastic, man. It's just uh, it's just me and you, so I'm going to forego any kind of final recommendations and whatnot. I'm actually just getting back from vacation mode. I've been like 10 days in Hawaii and I'm still just trying to figure out how to go to work and, and do normal stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. So with that, dude, I think let's uh, – I'm going to toast to you. you. Folks, you can't toast. see this, but I'm holding cheers. up the, the drugs of my my awesome Paulaner Hefeweizen. Cheers to you, man. This will be our last Cheers sip. to you, man. Salute. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.